Good evening and welcome to episode 19 of the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and with me tonight is my buddy, Joe. How are you doing tonight, Joe? Uh, I'm doing okay, Andrew. How about you? <laughs> well, you know, it could have been a better week for the Braves last week, but it also could have been a lot worse. I'm really not too upset, all told, with uh, how it came out. Uh, Jason won't be joining us tonight. He decided that uh, he needs to do a fantasy football draft tonight instead. Um, and Joe, uh, Jason said tonight he's drinking a Sour Monkey from Victory Brewing Company, which uh, he's hoping will lead him to fantasy football victory. Having been in fantasy leagues with them before, he's going to need all the help he can get. What are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking the Mike's Hard Strawberry Lemonade because I'm going to have something that hits just as hard as the White Sox hit the Cubs this weekend. Yeah, boy, did they. Um, tonight I'm drinking an Oops All Berries Kettle Sour from Ellicott Brewing Company. I'd call it more of a tart than a sour. It's not super sour, but it, the uh, berry flavor is quite pleasant, actually. All right, so let's get into it. The Braves were swept in the miniseries by the Yankees. In Game 1, we were lucky enough to watch the only, th only the third game in MLB history featuring two teams on a 9-plus game winning streak. It's the first time it's happened in almost 120 years. The last matchup that happened with uh, teams on 9-plus game winning streaks was September 7th of 1901, between the Pirates and the Phillies. Unfortunately, the Yankees did win Game 1 5-1. Giancarlo Stanton homered and drove in three runs to carry the Yankees to their 10th straight victory. The Braves' only run came on a solo homer from Dansby Swanson. That was his 25th of the season. Yankee star starter Jordan Montgomery worked through five innings. He had only gave up two hits and earned run, four walks, and two strikeouts. He was backed up by a couple stellar defensive plays, including a great diving catch from Joey Gallo down the left field line that robbed Guillermo Heredia of a hit in the second. Also, Aaron Judge made a really nice running catch on a uh, big long fly to deep center later in the game as well. Um, despite the loss, Wasker, you know, looked good. He went six innings, only gave up four hits, three earned runs, walked one, and struck out nine. So a good outing by Yanoa. Game two was a very close game featuring a really good ninth inning rally from the Braves that did fall just short as New York took the series 5-4. The Yankees went deep three times. They had homers from LeMay, Hughes, Stanton, and Odor. Uh, Charlie Morton didn't have his best stuff tonight. He went five innings, six hit, allowed four earned runs, no walks, nine strikeouts, but did allow the two home runs. In his previous starts in August, he had only allowed one home run total. Uh, Dansby Swanson's two-run double in the first were the only runs allowed in four innings by Yankee starter Andrew Heaney. In the ninth, New York closer Aroldis Chapman was trying to preserve a 5-3 lead. He gave up a hit and two walks. Uh, Chapman's basis loaded walk was to Jorge Soler that cut the margin down to one, and then an manager Aaron Boone pulled Chapman for Wandy Peralta just in time to face reigning NL MVP Freddie Freeman. Uh, Peralta fell behind 3-1 in the count before throwing five straight change-ups, which, first of all, Takes a lot of huts, but to throw five straight change-ups, especially to a power hitter like Freeman. Freeman fouled four of them off in a row, and then he hit a game-ending fly ball, uh, fly ball out to deep left field. He just got under that one, just missed the walk-off home run. Uh, after the game, Boone wouldn't say if he was going to continue to use Chapman as the closer, if he was going to go to a closer by committee. Uh, the 11-game winning streak is New York's longest since August 31st to September 10th of 1985. Now, there were two controversial items in this game. Number one, Atlanta's Jock Peterson was ejected by home plate umpire Chris Conroy after striking out, I use the term striking out loosely, on an inside pitch to end the fourth with runners on first and second. Uh, Peterson fell to the ground, then argued that he was hit on the hands by Heaney's pitch. Um, 
and then I guess on appeal, the third base umpire thought the bat crossed over home plate and rolled it a swing, even though when you watch the replay, he very clearly got nailed right on the hands, and you know he tossed his helmet, and they ejected him for arguing balls and strikes. So that was a really bad call there. And then later, when New York was leading 4-2, Austin Riley hit a single up the middle off uh, Julie Rodriguez in the fifth, drove in Albies, but a close play at the plate denied Atlanta's attempt to tie the game. Uh, Freddie Freeman was thrown out on Velasquez's replay from shortstop, a call that stood following a review that lasted a minute 40 seconds. Uh, Joe, I watched this review. You could see Freddie Freeman's foot hit the plate before the tag from Gary Sanchez. I, I don't know what it is this year with the Braves getting screwed on replays at the plate, but that's twice now, and I'm getting a little tired of it. And the fact that MLB is really archaic and cloak and dagger, we have no idea what you're seeing, who's making the calls, replay system. We've, you know, we've been complaining about it most of the year because it seems like there are a whole lot of calls that, upon review by New York, still don't make any sense why they're called the way they are. Yeah, it's a little troubling, I think. You know, with NFL replay, it's obvious who's looking at it. It's obvious who's deciding it, what camera angles they're seeing. Same thing with college football. Mm -hmm. We know what camera angle they're seeing because we're seeing the same ones on TV uh, when we watch the game. With baseball, you just don't know exactly who's deciding that. There's always with, With football, there's always a replay official, and they announce to you who it is usually. Uh, or what conference it's from when it's a college game. You, you know, so I think a little bit of transparency might help them, but the, the bigger issue, I think, is is cameras. I think how the heck we don't have a camera either at the top of the netting or right behind home plate that, sh- that is, you know, right down on the plate because that would erase all doubt on a play like that. Um, Cubs had it. A similar situation to this in the White Sox game yesterday, where we don't have a, a camera right down the foul line, and it's one of those fair foul calls. And it's one of those where you know when you watch a tennis match, you can see if it caught a little bit of it mm-hmm. or not. That's and for example. whatever reason, in baseball, we don't have that. So I, I mean, I think it's a question of cameras. I saw that replay once or twice. I couldn't really tell from my vantage point. Um, but I think the other, th- I mean, the Jock Peterson call, I, I wasn't as upset with that because, again, <laughs> yeah, he went around. Was Did he go around because that, that was his body's natural reaction? Right, yes, he, of he, course. He went but, around because he got hit in the damn hands. Well, I, come on. I'm not <laughs> arguing that. It's, but what I'm saying to you is that if... Like, when we play a show, for example, if you swing at a pitch and you get hit, it's still a strike. So, I, I, I mean, I, but, I I see your point, and I see your point from my end, because I'm like, okay, he got hit. Clearly, he didn't intend to swing. That was a reaction to getting right. hit. But, at the same point, yeah, I, I do agree. If you crosses yeah, the plane. I, I the understand. Bat, you plate. swing the yeah. bat, you get hit. It's a strike, but... When the bat swung because you get hit in the hands, I, I just, I don't understand that. That's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not going to ever agree with that one, probably. <laughs> Even if it's against us. And I, 
And then I'm going to go back to the Mets and the Marlins earlier this year. When, um, was it Conforto? Was, was it Conforto? Yeah. yeah. Conforto, Conforto sticks gets... his freaking arm out, yeah. which is an automatic out if you do that. And that doesn't get called or reviewed or nothing. Like The inconsistency. It, it got reviewed and they didn't do anything with it, I think, is, is what happened with that one. But, like, that was one of those things where it was clear and obvious he tried to get hit. A blind this, man this is been... one of those where, where Jock wasn't necessarily trying to get hit. He was attempting to swing, trying to get he out was, of the way, and then trying to kept get, that, going. That ball so. was four or five inches inside. I I don't think he was... I mean, unless you're Biggio and you know how to roll into it while making it look like you're rolling out of it. You know, I mean, he was a master of that. But yeah. I, that ball was so far inside, I don't think he could have done anything even if he had made an honest-to-God swing on it. No, and I don't... I don't know either, but I think, yeah, I mean. But, but, yeah, that Conforto call earlier in the year, that was so obvious a blind man who's been dead for 100 years could have seen that he stuck his arm out deliberately to get hit. Yeah. So, uh, one other note for the rest of that series. Uh, Atlanta pitchers did really well despite the losses. They struck out 28 Yankee hitters, and Atlanta's hitters were very disciplined in the two games. They only struck... Yankee pitchers only struck out Atlanta hitters 18 times. Mm-hmm. I think in a traditional series where we're playing three, four, five games, you know, I think Atlanta comes back to either split or split or take the series. I would agree with that. I think the way that their bullpen pitched this week, it, it would be hard to see them not mm-hmm. winning that series if it's more than two games. Yeah. Or at least a split of some kind. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you there. Uh, Jason's notes from that series, something had to give. The Yanks were able to cool off the Braves for a couple of days anyway. Yeah. Well, to be fair, too, I mean, the Yankees went on to win two more games. They went on a 13-game winning streak before Oakland finally stopped them. So the Yankees, ever since losing in Iowa, have been on fire. Uh Uh-huh. So. Yeah, uh, the thing I, I, the note I made for that series with the Yankees, Minter had a a clean inning in that first game against the Yankees. And the bullpen in game two, one run in four innings pitched. Yeah. That That's, for as much as we beat the living crap out of the Braves bullpen, that's a good pitching by them. They just didn't have enough offense. Right. And, you know, as much crap as we have been giving them, I should also point out that over the last two months, outside of blowout games, the bullpen's been damned reliable. So, yeah, I, I can't complain about that. All right, and then the NL, actually, Major League leading New, uh, San Francisco, God, New York Giants. Not anymore, not in a long time. The Major League leading San Francisco Giants came to Atlanta, and the Braves walked away taking two out of three from the best team in baseball right now. Game one, the Braves had a comeback win 6-5. to five. Jorge Soler hit a go-ahead three-run home run in the seventh inning, and Joe, that thing was a monster shot. Peterson made a leaping catch at the wall for the final out. The Braves rallied to beat San Francisco 6-5 on Friday night to end the Giants' five-game winning streak. Uh, Former Brave Kevin Gossman came off the COVID IL and pitched a strong game for the Giants before the bullpen lost it. Gossman went six innings, six hits, two earned runs, no walks, two strikeouts, and the home run allowed. Max Fried pitched for the Braves, and despite his strong August, didn't have his best stuff going. He went six innings, five hits, four runs, only three of which were earned. No walks, but he did strike out five with one home run allowed. Uh, That home run was the biggest luck shot I've seen in a couple weeks. Uh, Buster Posey kind of yanked it down the line, 
in right field, and it just barely caught the inside of that right field foul pole. If you watch the replay, the look of disgust on Max Fried's face when he realizes that it just hooked in is kind of priceless, to be honest with you. So the Braves' rally started in the seventh with an RBI double from Ozzie before Solaire crushed the three-run homer. Um, Adam Duvall had a homer early in the game off Gossman, and Will Smith decided to not make save number 29 an easy one. Wilmer Flores led off the ninth of the homer. Smith got a ground out and a strikeout before uh, Tommy LaStella drove a really high fly ball to the warning track and right. Uh, Jock Peterson actually overran this ball a little bit, but then reached back and jumped up into the wall and held on and made what was honestly an incredible catch. Now, that said, if he hadn't overrun the ball, it would have just been a normal flyout, but that's okay. It was <laughs> definitely a web gem nominee, that's for sure. After the game, when uh, he was asked by reporters, he said, quote, I did my best Devontae Adams impression. And uh, th this was pretty cool, Joe. Uh, when he was celebrating with his teammates in in the uh, dugout following the home run, Solaire pulled off his batting helmet to re reveal a new headband that said Solaire Power, which I thought was <laughs> really cool. Um, the Braves acquired him from Kansas City at the trade deadline, and he now has 19 home runs in the season, or at that point it was 19 home runs in the season, including six in 23 games with Atlanta. He's starting to heat up. Mm -hmm. And then game two, the Braves' offense faltered as they were shut out 5 to nothing, wasting a solid start from Wascar Yanoa. Once again, I, I feel bad for you know ever since he's come off the I.L. He's pitched really well, but the offense hasn't picked him up yet. He went six innings, three hits, two earned runs, three walks, three strikeouts, and a solo home run given up to Listella. Logan Webb pitched fantastic for the Giants. He went seven innings, five hits, a walk, and six strikeouts. And he also had a two RBI double, so pitchers helping themselves out. Yastrzemski had a double and a home run as well. Uh, here's the thing, Joe. The Braves, they did not play opportunistic baseball. They went one for ten with runners in scoring position. They left eight runners on base, and they grounded into two double plays. This was Webb's 13th consecutive start in which he has not allowed more than two runs, and he is 7-0 over that span, which began after his last loss at Colorado on May 5th. That's a good run. Yeah, the other thing with game two is that, first off, the, the bullpen was just terrible, as good as they were earlier in the week. Uh, Riley went two for four, and no one else really hit in that game. Yeah. Yeah, when you have only one guy trying to carry the team, it's not always going to go well. And then game three, Ian Anderson came off the I.L., and he looked fantastic as well. He went five and two-thirds. He gave up four hits, didn't allow a run, and he walked two. The Braves pitching only allowed five hits total to the Giants and one extra base hit, which was a double to Lamont Wade Jr. in the in the fourth inning, Solaire hit a solo home run, and then Austin Riley, a couple batters later, hit a two-run home run. Eddie Rosario, finally healthy after we acquired him at the trade deadline, he knocked in two with a triple, and Ozzie Albies also hit a home run in the eighth to go along with an earlier double. Ozzie now has 63 extra base hits, which leads the NL. Uh, Joe, a note for you. Chris Bryant was a non-factor in the series. He was removed early on Friday after he had some right-side tightness, and he was only available to pinch hit for the rest of the series. Um, this was Atlanta's 15th team shutout this season, which is tied for the lead in the majors. Not bad. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Um, one note, uh, note from the last week from Minter. Minter was 1-0, three innings pitched, two hits, two walks, a .91 whip, 115 batting average against four strikeouts. So he had a really solid week for them. It seems like Minter might be figuring it out now that he went down to the minors for a couple weeks. Yeah, I've been really happy with how Minter's looking when he's come back up. And the big thing for me is when he walks a guy, he ignores it. 
gets out of his head and attacks the next guy. And I think that was probably the biggest thing is for him to fix, so to speak, when he went down to the minors. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, a couple weeks ago when we looked at our MVP candidates, um, I put Freddie Freeman back up there, but upon further review and thought, he might not be the brave I should be putting up for potential MVP this year. I'm thinking it might need to be Austin Riley. I think there's no doubt about it, the way he's been hitting and the way he's continued to hit. You know, he, he was 3-for-3 three three in that second game against New York. They lost that game, but still, um, you know, 1-for-4 the first one, 2-for-4, 2-for-4, 1-for-4 on Sunday, but that 1-for-4 was a homer. So, you know, he, he's producing, and it's great. So, before Freddie Freeman won MVP last year, the previous Braves MVP winner was Chipper Jones in 1999. Listen to the similarity between Jones in 99 and Austin Riley this year in their first 40 games after the All-Star break. Chipper went 340, 12 home runs, and a 1.169 OPS. Austin Riley, 359, 14 home runs, 1.091 OPS. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Dave O'Brien, one of the Atlanta beat writers, uh, a tweet he mentioned earlier this week. By the way, for those wondering whether Riley could win MVP after not being named to the All-Star team, well, actually, he'd just be continuing the Braves' third-base trend. Neither 1991 MVP Terry Pendleton nor 1999 MVP Chipper Jones made the All-Star team in his MVP season. Crazy, isn't it? That's nuts. Yeah. So, I... I'm really excited to keep watching Austin Riley. I was always one of the fans who was on the, guys, we need to give this kid a chance to grow and get used to the game. He was so hot when he came up, and then he had that rough patch towards the end of his season, and he played okay last year, but nothing special. This is his first full season in the majors, and I think people forget about that. And the season he's having this year is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, he really, he picked it up before Freddie started to get hot. And, I mean, outside of the beginning of the season when, you know, everybody starts a little slow other than Acuna this year, he really picked it up after Acuna went down. So I am really excited to see what he's going to keep doing in the future, honestly. All right, Joe, how about the Cubbies? Let's talk about these Cubs. Uh, game one in this Rockies series, they took two or three from the Rockies and then dropped two or three from the White Sox. That's just your, you know, thirty thousand foot view of the week for them. Uh, game one, Cubs win this game six to four, ended their thirteen game losing streak at Wrigley on a Rafael Ortega walk off two run homer. We'll get back to that one in a second, but this is the game where we were we were recording last week and I said it's gonna be fourteen, it's gonna be fourteen. They tie the game when I'm driving home after we're done, and then win the game. It's just it's it's crazy, uh, what what happens here. But Cubs scored five runs in the final two innings of this game. Rockies reliever Shasim uh, walked the bases loaded on twelve straight pitches to start the eighth. Bodie hit a double and Hermosillo to hit a double to cap a three-run rally that tied the game at four all. Uh, Hendricks pitched well despite the no decision. Seven innings, nine hits, four runs. No walks, six strikeouts, as did Antonio Stan, Stan Satella 
for the Rockies. Six innings, five hits, one run, two walks, six strikeouts. Both pitchers pitched pretty well. Um, can't say that for Hendricks later in the week, but that was a good start for him on a Monday night last week. Half went three for three in this game. Colorado really plays great small ball. Uh, just looking back at, at the week, that series, they, they just play really good. You know, timely hitting, location hitting, you know, the situational hitting. Their, their situational hitting is really, really interesting to look at and watch. Uh, Cody Hewer and uh, Rodriguez continue to pitch well for the Cubs. Cody Hewer is really impressing me as a bullpen guy. I continue to be pretty happy with the return on that trade. Uh, with the White Sox. Al- Ortega crushed this ball. This was one of those where it went off the bat and it was like, game over. <laughs> uh, he is just crushing. When he crushes the ball, he crushes it. Oh, yeah. And when he flies out, you know it's a fly out. <laughs> um, it, you know, he's really just tattooing the ball when he gets on it. So that was game one. Game two delayed to Wednesday due to weather, so it was a doubleheader. Cubs won the first game of this doubleheader, 5-2, to two, powered by a three-run homer from Wisdom. Massive 438-foot blast onto Waveland, I think. Uh, <laughs> did that thing come down yet? Oh, I'm sure it did. <laughs> he really crushed that one. Uh, Cubs also had homers from David Bodie and Austin Romine. Uh, Romine's been a, a fun story. Hopefully he continues to play well for them. Uh, Davies pitched well in a no decision. Go figure. Uh, going four and two-thirds, three hits, two runs, a walk, six strikeouts, a homer to uh, C.J. Crone for the Rockies. Adam Morgan for the Rockies earned his, or for the Cubs, earned his second save of the season. Game three, the second half of the doubleheader turned into a 10-inning affair, eventually won by the Rockies 13-10. to Cubs blew one lead in this game. They were up 5-2, to and then they also blew a tie game 9-9 to later in the game. Uh, neither starter really made it out. Made it out of the fourth inning. Steele went three and two thirds, five hits, four runs, two walks, five strikeouts. Uh, combined, those two starters gave up nine runs between them. Connor Joe hit his first career grand slam in the fourth inning, put Colorado ahead six to five. Rockies led eight to five after six innings before the Cubs rallied. Ian Happ hit a three-run homer off of Daniel Bard in the seventh, tied the second game at eight. Bard blew his 8th save and 28 chances. Ryan McMahon lofted a 2-run homer in the 10th inning. Brendan Rodgers followed with a 2-run double, gave him his 5 RBIs for the game. Trevor Story left the game in the 10th with an injury. And so there are a bunch of defensive switches, including a pitcher going into right field. That was Kyle Freeland. Um, Wisdom in this game was 0-4. for 4. So in that in the um, game 3 of the, double, the second half of the doubleheader, uh, this inability to hold big leads leaked into the weekend, as we'll see. Um, but that first series, I'm glad they took two out of three. I was not optimistic, as you'll uh, re- replay as we look at Pickham later. I was not optimistic about this week, so to get two out of three in that first series, that's truly helpful. Yeah, uh, Jason said it was a really nice series for the Cubs, and I agree with him. It was good to see the Cubs come out and just take care of business. You know, the Rockies away from Coors Field are a pretty horrifically bad ball club. So this was a series you guys needed to take two out of three, and you did just what you needed to do. 
Yeah, and we're getting a lot of contributions from some some guys who are going to be around for a while. So I'm really interested to see what this team can do going yeah. forward the rest of the year. So end of the weekend, they went dropped two of three to the White Sox uh, on the South Side. But hey, they won a game. I'm getting there. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I was excited. No, no. Uh, game one was a slugfest. If you had told me the Cubs scored 13 runs on Friday, I would have told you they would have won this game, except for they're playing the White Sox. And the White Sox decided to score 17 runs in game one. Yasbadi Gradal, who I've been a fan of for his plate discipline throughout the show this year, came off the injury list, hit two homers, had eight RBIs for the White Sox in one game. That's that's a good week in fantasy baseball right there. And yeah. he knocked it out in a game. Yeah. My God. Uh, so... Patrick Wisdom homered twice, drove in four runs for the Cubs on his 30th birthday. He's got the stash to match the age. <laughs> I think now that's uh, pretty impressive. Um, the Cubs were up 6 to nothing after one in this game. They jumped on Dallas Keuchel, who only lasted an inning, seven hits, six runs, five of which were earned, a walk, a strikeout, and a home run. Hermosillo hit a solo shot to go along with two impressive catches in center field in this game. That was in the seventh inning. The Cubs were up six nothing after one. They were down nine six after three. Uh, Wisdom and Ian Happ hit homers in the ninth off of Craig Kimbrell. Uh, before Kimbrell faced Romine for the final out of the inning and final out of that game. Uh, Dallas Keuchel is two and six in his last twelve starts with a six six seven ERA. He's the one pitcher on that roster that's not pitching well from a starting standpoint. Uh, Keegan Thompson in this game didn't do much better. He went two innings, five hits, five runs, four of which were earned, two walks, and a strikeout. Uh, Again, the second time this season, the Cubs jumped out to a five-plus run lead to start the game before losing it. They scored seven on the Brewers on uh, June 30th. That was Arietta. They were up 7-0, and then they were... I was all happy, and then they were down Damn, eight to seven. Um, you know, ended up losing that game fifteen to seven. So the Cubs have just not held massive leads here a couple times this year. Um, in this game one two, the White Sox scored one run in the first, eight runs in the third, four in the fifth, one in the seventh, and three in the eighth. Big innings, man. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. So uh, what, what then happens, of course, you go up against Lance Lynn, and Lance Lynn doesn't look like the AL Cy Young favorite that we all have him as on this show. Uh, the Cubs pummeled the White Sox 7 to nothing in Game 2. Lynn went 5 innings, 7 hits, 7 runs, 2 walks, 7 strikeouts, 3 home runs. Two of those home runs were to Wisdom and um, Grand Slam to Ortega. And again, Ortega, monster shot. Ortega is a true pool hitter. It was ridiculous. <laughs> he was he was way ahead of it and way on it and drove it out. It was nuts. He was trying to knock that one all the way back to Wrigley, I think. Yeah, it might not have hurt <laughs> to do that. Alec Mills had his best start of the year, went eight and a third, four hits, no runs, two walks, three strikeouts. First win since August 4th. Probably his best start since the no-hitter last year. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, I, I mean, he's been pretty consistent but not not this good most of the year he's been consistent but this was his best start by far 
White Sox only had one extra base hit. It was a double by Abreu, and the Cubs turned a couple double plays. So, yeah, <laughs> baseball giveth and baseball taketh away in this uh, this series with the White Sox. Game three, Kyle Hendricks was unable to pick up win number 15. The White Sox routed the Cubs 13-1. to Hendricks went four and two-thirds, seven hits, eight runs, all earned two walks, four strikeouts, and three home runs. Uh, Location-wise, he's just not been that sharp. It's one of those things where if, if you're throwing as slow as he does, you're, you're a control pitcher, and when your control's not there, your margin of error completely goes out the window. Mm-hmm. And, and we're seeing some of the fruits of that this year in some of these starts. It's probably the highest ERA Hendricks has had at any point, 4-4-3. Um, so I, 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 I'm chalking it up to you lost half your teammates. This is the worst season that the Cubs have had since you were a rookie. And we're stretching some of these guys back out. I, I'm attributing it to that for the most part. Yeah. Because he was really good for about two months. So I, I, I think it's just kind of well, figuring things out. Well, and keep in mind, too, the White Sox are a phenomenal hitting team this year. And a control guy like Hendricks, like you said, if he doesn't have his control, he's going to get shelled, and he just didn't have it that game. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Cease had an excellent day for the White Sox, went six innings. I thought for sure he'd only go five, but he ended up going six. Four hits, one earned run, two walks, 11 strikeouts, and one home run was to uh, Frank Schwindel, who's been sort of a folk hero there at, at first base now that Rizzo's gone. Cease has a 4 0 record and a 2.68 ERA and six starts in August. It's pretty dang good. Yeah. Uh, it's exactly what he needed to do coming out of the break and coming out of the trade deadline. White Sox hit a total of five home runs on, in this game, two from Luis Robert, one from Eloy Jimenez, Yasmani Grandal, and Brian Goodwin. Abreu also had a two-run double, putting his season RBI total to 101. His career high is 123 from 2019, and the White Sox have 29 games left, so probably going to pass that, I would think. I, I would think he's going to um, get there, yeah. Pretty easily, I would imagine. That, that lineup is just loaded. It is well, insane. And the AL Central is not deep. So if they've got a lot of... I, I don't know what the White Sox schedule looks like in September, but if they've got a lot of division games, that should help them pad that line a little bit. Absolutely. A couple of nice things from this this game on Sunday. Uh, Afonso Rios got his first Major League start for the Cubs. Went two for three. Uh, first plate appearance, first pitch, first Major League hit. There you go. It was amazing. Like, Don't waste any time, he, man. He, he was up there on a the mission and wanted to hit it right away and, and got a nice single. They were real quick to get the ball back in, into the dugout. That was really pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wisdom went 4 for 11 on the weekend series. All four hits were home runs. Um, he is two home runs away from the Cubs' rookie record. And I'm pretty sure he leads the team now that Javi and KB are gone. So. Yeah. I will be shocked if he doesn't break the Cubs' rookie record. He certainly should. I mean, he went through a little bit of a lull, and now he's back hitting the ball like like we want him to, and I think it's the stash. Keep the stash going there, Patrick. <laughs> uh, White Sox scored 30 runs in this series despite being shut out of game two. That's just... that That's insane. That's absolutely insane. Um, Jason said, I figured the Cubs would get one. I just chose the wrong game. 
And he's right. You know, with our pick em, we just pick the series record. We don't pick game by game who's going to win, who's going to lose. Because, honestly, that's way too much for us to try and keep track of. But if you would have told me, hey, you have to pick which game's going to be the win, it sure as heck wasn't going to be the Lance Lynn start. No, not a chance. I, I was I was going to pick uh, Hendricks and Cease. <laughs> yeah. Uh, injury updates. Contreras will go out for rehab starts soon. He took a, a bullpen session and did some running drills over the weekend. Azulai felt good after pitching two innings in Iowa. Uh, Bodie went on a 10-day IL with a right ankle sprain after stepping on a baseball MVP on Friday night. And, yeah, I mean, like I said, I keep saying we'll see what we have, we'll see what we have. I like what some of the pieces we have. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think this rebuild is not going to be nearly as long as the last one. I agree. Yeah, you know, have, having the having the chutzpah to go ahead and just dump all your stars and for huge hauls back, it's going to pay off, and... It, that's not something that's easy for any GM to do, especially a fan favorite like Rizzo. So, you know, props props to the Cubs front office for being willing to do that, getting a good haul back. And, yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I don't think this uh, downturn is going to last more than maybe a season or two. All right, let's take a look at the Phillies since uh, Jason decided to take the week off. So they first got swept in the two-game miniseries with Tampa. Uh, Nelson Cruz came off the COVID IL and hit a tie-breaking two-run double off uh, Archie Bradley and played first base for the first time in his career as the Rays won that game 3-1. to one. He previously uh, had last played right field for the Mariners in 18. He's been on the DH ever since. That's a long time between fielding. Gregorius had a pair of hits and Brad Miller had added an RBI double for the Phillies. Ranger Suarez had a great start that got wasted. He went six and two-thirds. Gave up six hits and earned run a walk and seven strikeouts. And the Rays pitching held the Phillies offense to six hits total and one walk. And the Phillies went over five with runners in scoring position. In game two for the second week in a row, Joe Girardi makes a questionable choice sending his starter back out in the ninth despite a high pitch count at 93 pitches for uh, Zach Wheeler. Yandy Diaz led off by just missing a home run but was held to a single by right fielder Bryce Harper when the ball bounced high off the wall. And then Kevin Kiermeyer followed with an opposite field liner down the left field line that was ruled a double by third base umpire Sean Barber, who had to jump out of the way of the ball. Um, Girardi came out to argue with the plate umpire Dan Bellino that the ball was a foul, but the call, uh, which wasn't reviewable anyway, stood. Then Francisco Maya hit a tie-breaking three-run home run. Harper and Hoskins earlier in the game both hit homers for the Phillies. And then uh, rookie Wander Franco had two hits to extend his on-base streak to 26 straight games for the Rays. The Phillies' defense committed two errors in this game, Joe. They're up to 76 in the season after the game, which is seventh worst in the MLB. Yeah, they probably have, you know, three three times the amount of errors that uh, Javi Baez has. So... <laughs> Uh, that's uh, it's, it's certainly not not doing well for them. I think uh, looking at this Tampa series, uh, some of Jason's notes is that um, you know it's not surprising the Tampa Bay bullpen is one of the best and their offense is first in the majors in runs scored in the seventh inning or later. Really sucks that they wasted a start by Ranger because Ranger has been pitching pretty well other than one start last week. Yeah, and you know, and, and then game two, Girardi it just. What is it with former catchers and managing pitchers? 
Dude, I asked that in the group chat this past week after since we had the second time in two weeks that he's decided to let Nola and Wheeler go when they were high 90s pitch counts and gassed. And he just let them keep going. When you sent prospects away to get Ian Kennedy because your bullpen sucked, why are you not using him? I just don't understand. Yeah, I'm not really sure what, what his game plan is here. Hopefully he can, they, they all kind of figure it out. Or the next time Wheeler starts, he's just so dominant that he can't pull him. Um, you know, he gets through the, through the game so much faster. You know, here's the thing. When you send a guy back out in the ninth, if he if he doesn't get that first guy out or the first two guys out, you quick hook him. Oh, absolutely. A, a guy with that many pitches that far in, yeah, you easily, easily it's a quick pull. If yeah. The first guy gets on base, that's it. All right, let's yeah. go. And especially if it's a long walk. You know, we've seen that before. A guy comes out in the ninth, the first guy grinds out a five-pitch walk. I gank him right there. Absolutely. 100%. The other thing with this, I mean, Harper continues to just mash the baseball this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he continues his, his MVP push with his offensive numbers. I don't think the Phillies are going to do enough, though, to give him that push he needs. I really don't. I... Honestly, Joe, even if the even if the Braves melt down and the Phillies catch him and win the East, I don't know that he's going to have enough to jump ahead of Riley or Freeman or Tatis Jr. I, I I just don't. His RBI numbers are so are so low because he has all of those solo home runs. Right. You know, his team's just not. His team just didn't help him out early this year. Yeah, and I think too. You know the the injury to Hoskins, and I, I think could could be the you know either one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Either Harper goes on a tear and picks up the production for both of them, or he just continues to hit for himself, and that's about it. Yeah, and you know I feel for the Phillies fans once Hoskins went down because we got to see a brief glimmer of what that lineup looks like when they're back to full strength, and without Hoskins in that lineup to protect Harper. I mean, Real Muto hits fine, but he doesn't have the big power threat that Hoskins is. I, you know, so I'm just, you know, I, I, I wonder who's going to step up for the Phillies. Are they gonna Are they gonna be bringing Alec Baum back up? Will he be able to do it? Uh, supposedly, Real Muto is fighting with a nagging shoulder injury. Is he gonna do it? You know, we're just that's what's going to be the big question for the Phillies because we know what Harper's going to do. The question's going to be who's going to step up behind Harper. All right, then let's go to the Arizona series as it was a much better result for the Phillies in Philadelphia than it was in Arizona. Now, that said, game one, the Diamondbacks got to enjoy a home-cooked meal, compliments of uh, Christian Walker, who's originally from Norristown, PA, not that far from Philly, and uh, his mom's family recipe for homemade meatballs, in which she made, I think, 120 of them, is what I saw in the MLB.com article. Uh, the D-backs took game one eight to seven. Walker had four hits himself and reached safely in all five plate appearances. Diamondback starter Zach Gallen, who grew up in Gibbsboro, New Jersey, which is about 15 miles southeast of Citizens Bank Park, he threw five innings, three hits, two runs, none of them earned, two walks, six strikeouts, and a home run, collecting his second win of the season. Matt Moore looked like the Matt Moore from most of the season on the last couple weeks. He went four innings, seven hits, four in runs, two walks, two strikeouts, a home run allowed. 
The Phillies tried to rally in the ninth. They scored five runs on a Galvis fielder's choice, a Harper double, and a Gregorius single, but then they fell short two runs. The Diamondbacks, I, honestly, they shouldn't have won this game. They were extremely sloppy in the field. They had three errors plus a pass ball. None of the seven runs that the Phillies scored in this game were earned. And that's including uh, a Segura two-run home run in the fifth. None of those runs were earned. Game two, the start of the game was delayed uh, because of contact tracing for COVID because the Phillies had to put three players on the IL, uh, Zach Eflin, Andrew Knapp, and uh, Williams. Phillies starter Aaron Nola, he had a good start wasted. He went five in the third innings, only allowed three hits, two earned runs, didn't walk anybody, he struck out seven. Harper's hot August continued. He hit his 25th homer of the season in the third inning. Philly looked headed to victory in the ninth before Walker homered off Ian Kennedy, tying the score at 4 all. Uh, the Phillies' relievers, Joe, they've now blown 26 saves this season. That's a franchise record. That was Kennedy's second blown save this season. The Diamondbacks took a 6-4 lead in the 10th when uh, Marte hit a 2-0, 93-mile-an-hour fastball from Anil De Los Santos over the wall in right center. And then Brad Miller tied it back up in the 10th off Tyler Clippert, who blew his second save in his seventh chance. And then Gene Segura walked it off in the 11th with an RBI single. Very exciting game. In Game 3, Gibson stayed sharp for the Phillies. They won that one comfortably 7 to nothing. Gibson went 6, gave up 3 hits, no runs, no walks, 3 strikeouts. Didi Gregorius at 3 doubles for the Phillies, while Segura and Dubal Herrera homered for the Phillies. Bryce Harper doubled, drove in a run, and Segura had 3 hits, and Gregorius had a pair of RBIs. Um, in Game 4, the Phillies put up some late-game run support to win the Game 7-4 to after the Diamondbacks rallied back to be down 5-4 to in the 8th. And then Rafael Marchand and Travis Jankowski had back-to-back -back RBI triples, you don't see that too often, which pushed the lead back to three. Ranger Suarez pitched into the sixth, going five and a third, five hits and earned run, two walks, five strikeouts. Kennedy picked up his 21st save on a good one, two, three, ninth. Harper, Segura, and Marchand each had two hits, and uh, Diamondback starter Madison Bumgarner, who put the Phillies down last week, not so much this week. He went five innings, gave up seven hits, five earned runs, four walks, three strikeouts. In Suarez's six starts, Joe, uh, since he got moved into the rotation, one and one, two oh three ERA in twenty six and two thirds innings. You know, and remember they were stretching him out early, so you expect the record to be low because he wasn't qualified for those first couple games. Right, but he's pitching great. Yeah, and this is exactly what you needed when you dealt Spencer Howard. You had to see what you had, and Ranger Suarez that move from the bullpen to the rotation has been paying dividends. I think. And most of that 203 RA came in like two games. Yeah. He's other than those two games, he's been pretty shut down for the Phillies. Yeah. A couple of Jason's notes to recap for this Arizona series. Game one, Arizona was more dominant than the score indicates. Miller had an opportunity to be the hero but ended up ending the game. Uh, game two, second great uh, start second straight great start for Aaron Noah. Kennedy's first blown save with the Phillies. Miller crushed the the uh, Homer in the uh, in the tenth to tie the game. The Gene walk off bloop down the right field line is fourth walk off this year. First time Phillies blew a save in the ninth, went down in the tenth, tied it, and then t and then walk off. Uh, again, like you pointed out, the twenty six blown save uh, for the the team this year. That's just unex unacceptable, inexcusable. Mm -hmm. uh, game three, Gibson, as we said, has been amazing for them. Harper is still continuing to hit the ball. Pretty well. Game four, as we talked about, great job by Suarez. Uh, two hits has him. His two hit Harper's two hits has him at 302 on the season. Only player above a thousand OPS in the National League. 
Neres continues to dominate in that mid-reliever role, uh, which is fantastic, but also a surprise, I yeah, think, right. to both of us, all three of us. Yeah, honestly. Um, huge den the week, only four and a half back. JT is getting some experience at first on nursing his ankle and shoulder. Okay, so yeah, there was some soreness there. Okay. Um, some roster moves the Phillies made. Uh, Chase Anderson got released after he was DFA'd last week. That wasn't really a surprise at all. And then uh, some front office moves. Brian uh, Minetti and Scott Proafrock uh, Pro are out as the assistant general managers. Josh Bonfai was removed as director of player development. Uh, all of these from uh, Phillies GM's Dave Dombrowski. A couple injury updates. As I alluded to earlier, Hoskins is done for the year. He had to have surgery to repair a lower abdomen injury. And then, like I said, Zach Eflin, Luke Williams, and Andrew Knapp are all in the COVID IL. And uh, Jason pointed out that Zach Eflin is also probably done anyway because of a knee issue. Okay. As I, well. Yeah, I forgot about that. He was trying to rehab that knee. Right. So that's, yeah, it's going to hurt the Phillies going down the stretch. All right. So looking at our other local teams, the Orioles finally ended the losing streak at 19 games, and they actually won the series with the Angels, taking two out of three, screwing all of us, I believe, in fantasy. Uh, in that game that they broke the streak, the Orioles actually beat up Shohei Otani. Um, Otani, he got beaten up on the mound, although he took a no decision. He went over four at the plate with three strikeouts. Uh, he didn't have a good series in Baltimore, Joe. He went two for nine. He did have a home run, but he had four walks, five strikeouts. Uh, Pedro Severino had a grand slam in the third game of the series. And then the Orioles got sweeped by the Rays because the Rays are freaking ridiculous. The Orioles actually out-hit the Rays in Game 1, 10-5, but it was the home run ball that did them in. Zanino had a three-run home run. Game 2 was lost in a go-ahead home run from Randy uh, Arozarena in the eighth inning. In Game 3, pitcher Joey Wendell hit a grand slam and a record six RBIs. The Rays ended the season, Joe, with an 18-1 and record versus the Orioles this year, and they've won 12 straight. And Ray's rookie, shortstop Wander Franco, who I'd mentioned earlier in the Phillies set, he has now reached base in 29 straight games, the longest active streak in the majors, and the longest by a rookie in Ray's club history. Wow. Yeah. The uh, Pointing out, you said about Otani that no decision. He went five innings, five hits, four runs, seven strikeouts, three home runs. Yeah, not a great outing at all. Yeah. Um, the Nationals this week, uh, their nine-game road trip finished with a fizzle as they dropped two out of three at Miami and two out of three in New York against the Mets. For the whole entire road series, they went three and six. Uh, next week doesn't really look any better for them as they played both the Phillies and the Mets at home. So probably you figure they're going to lose two or three to the Phillies and, well, who knows with the Mets, if the Mets are even going to bother showing up. So maybe they'll be okay in that one. Uh, for the Mets, Noah Syndergaard's rehab got put on hold as he went on the COVID IL, so it's questionable if he's even going to be able to come up for the bullpen for them. They were hoping to bring him up for an extra arm in September to give him a little bit of back-end relief, but looks like that might not happen now. The Mets started the week getting swept by the Giants, but then they did manage to salvage two out of three from the Nationals. Um, offense remained scarce until Sunday when they won that game 9-4. to Before that, they had only scored five runs in one game previously in the week. That includes one time that they got shut out by the Giants as well. Yeah, a couple of other points here. Uh, going back to the Orioles, the Orioles have 13 wins against the entire AL East this year. Oh, that's frightening. Uh, the Rays have 18 wins against the Orioles in 19 games. Yeah. Um, and then also with 
the uh, the Mets they've lost twenty five one run games this year, at least going into Saturday. Twenty five. Yeah. And that Saturday had been, I think, eight straight. Ugh. Or going into Saturday had been eight straight one run games that they had lost. Um, you know, that was the one thing Mets fans were holding on to was, yeah, we got beat pretty bad by the Giants and the Dodgers, but only two of those games were blowouts. And that's great, but you're not winning those close games. Right. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, it's one thing if in those 25 one-run losses, if you were only, if you were 12 and 13, 13 and 12 in that, okay, whatever. 25? That's horrible. And then our other New York team, the Yankees, they again, they swept the Braves in the miniseries, and then they continued that winning streak into Oakland. They took the first two games uh, before they lost Game 3, 3-2, three to two, which ended the 13-game winning streak, and then Oakland took this, the Sunday game 3-1. to one. So they ended up splitting that series in Oakland, which that was big for Oakland to be able to uh, stand up with the Yankees. So it was a... You know, the Yankees still hot, absolutely, but, you know, it's... I, you know, I was talking to one of my friends at work today, uh, one of the doctors at the hospital I work with, diehard Yankees fan, and he's like, you know, if they were doing this earlier this year, they'd be lighting the world on fire right now, but because they were so bad earlier this year, he doesn't think that they're even going to make the second wild card despite this hot run. He's just he, he's just that deflated from how bad the early season started with the Yankees. So, you know, I understand where you're coming from, Doc. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. So as we start our secondary topics, I'm going to lead off with the uh, Nationals and Astros were announced to become the first teams to require all full-time staff to receive the COVID-19 vaccine unless they have a vetted medical or religious exemption. I did want to note that this does not include the players, as that would requ uh, require an agreement with the MLBPA to do that. Uh, Joe, do you think more teams are going to end up d doing this? Uh, it's it's hard to say. I don't know. Um, it, they might. They might not. I, I really don't have yeah, it, too it, much thought on it. The Nationals make perfect sense to me, because remember, they had their first series of the year wiped out from a COVID outbreak. And then they've had COVID flares throughout the season. So it makes sense if if a lot of their players, are, if a high number of their players are vaccinated, but they're still having outbreaks, you have to figure out where else it's coming in from and what can you do to mitigate that. That makes sense to me. I was a little surprised, though, by the Astros. But Texas has been pretty hot lately, so maybe the Astros are trying to be proactive. I don't know. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see, interesting, excuse me, to see if any other teams are going to go this path. I mean, you know, this is a sports franchise. This isn't the medical field like I work in where I can understand, you know, them make it, my administrators making that choice saying, hey, we want our staff to be vaccinated to protect our patients. <coughs> we already did that for years with the flu vaccine too. So, you know, I'm, I'm from, the, from the medical side, it makes sense. From the sports side, I, good for them. You know, in the end, I, I'm really curious to see how many teams are going to go along with this especially looking at other sports as well. Um, and then we had the Dodgers and the Padres playing the longest extra innings game since the start of the extra runner rule as the Dodgers won 5-3 to three in 16 innings. This 16-inning game took 5 hours and 49 minutes to play. It featured 489 pitches by 19 pitchers who stranded a combined 35 base runners. No game had gone past the 13th inning since the extra innings rule had come into play. 
The winning runs came on an A.J. Pollock two-run home run to lead off the top of the 16th inning. 47 of the 52 players in both active rosters played in the game. The Dodgers went 5-for-27 with runners in scoring position, and the Padres went 2-for-24. L.A. stranded 17 base runners. The Padres stranded 18. There were 11 intentional walks, 8 of which were given by the Dodgers, which is the most by a big league team since 1955. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> Jason's one note about this. Tatis tied it with a two-run homer in the 15th. Other than the length of it and the significance with the new rules, this is a dumpster fire of garbage offensively. It is just terrible. Like, it's not it's not good baseball to watch. If you're a pitcher, you'll love it, but... My God, once you get to the... Two for twenty-four with runners in scoring position. Five for twenty-seven. That—that's hideous. From a fundamental standpoint, it's just disgusting. Well, here's my question: You have a runner on second. Drop down a damn bunt and move him to third. Then you have two outs to try and score. Like we got to the sixteenth inning. I, I know bunting isn't as common as it used to be, but my God. You would have and thought it, by the 14th inning, you would have said, you know, maybe we should try and play small ball. Well, judging by how some of these players have tried to bunt this year and how embarrassing it looks, clearly they don't work enough on it, so some people just don't know how to do it anymore. You know, the Japanese league, they, in, the Ulster, in their All-Star Game festivities, they have a bunting contest. Maybe Major League Baseball needs to make a freaking bunting contest to try and encourage players to relearn how to bunt, especially if they keep this stupid extra innings role going where you get a, f- a free ghost runner on second base. I, I think they should do what the NHL used to do with their all-star game and have that skills competition. That a bunting competition, sweet. a home run derby. Fielding competition. Fielding competition. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to watch some of those some of those golden glove left side of the infield contestants. I'd love to watch that, actually. Yeah. Rob Manfred, if you're listening... We want credit for this idea. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Don't just do it and say, "Oh, I, it just came to me one night." No, no, no. We know you'll listen to the podcast, man. And then we have the Mets, the Mets clubhouse. Speaking of dumpster fires, the Mets clubhouse is more like the dumpster that's on fire, floating down a flooded river. I mean, this is—it's getting out of Rojas's control. Uh, it, this weekend. That, that's assuming Rojas had control to begin with. If you follow that's, the Mets pages that I do, a lot of people are so fed up with Rojas, it's insane. That's a very fair <laughs> point. That's that's a very fair point. So this weekend, Francisco Lindor, Javier Baez, and Kevin Pillar all flashed thumbs-down signs after their hits. Uh, from Baez, quote, When we don't get success, we're going to get booed. So they, meaning the fans, are going to get booed when we get success. Uh, since his trade to the to New York at the trade deadline, Baez is hitting 207, 258, 414 with three home runs and five RBIs in 16 games. Uh, quote from Rojas, I haven't had many conversations with Javi about that, and everything's been about the game. Getting to know Javi more and more every day, he's an outstanding kid to be around. Javi being a new guy around here, getting to know our fan base. Some of our reaction that our fan base has, you see it's something he's learning. Our fans are like that. Our fans are very passionate. They're going to demand the best out of everyone here. 
Rojas said Mets fans have every right to boo and react when the team is not performing up to standards. Quote, especially Mets fans. New York fans, this market, this city knows baseball probably more than any other city. I don't know about that, but okay. They have the right to react however they want, and we got to understand where they're coming from. Our job is to be ready to give them the best baseball. Yeah, I... Some of this is on Rojas with, with the multiple batting lineups. The other thing with Baez is Baez went from a city where even when he struck out on pitches that were two feet off the plate, he was still a fan favorite. Right, he was a uh, World um, Series hero. Oh, yeah. Um, Paula Duco on Twitter yesterday said, I wonder if it says I got booed on his paycheck. Good night, Baez. People get mad at me. In 2006, we won 10 games in a row on the road and set a Met record and came home and got blown out by the Pirates who were in last place. We got booed off the field. I laugh because Met Nation is so passionate. Get it or go home. Baez needs to grow a pair. If you get booed in New York City, you deserve it because when you deliver, you're a god. That's facts. Yeah. Mets president Sandy Alderson said, quote, Fans at City Field have every right to express their own disappointment. Booing is every fan's right. The Mets will not tolerate any player gesture that is unprofessional in its meaning or is directed in a negative way towards our fans. So, Sandy's taking this seriously. I don't know that Rojas is taking this seriously. Probably not enough, but... I, I, I mean, we were talking about this before we started tonight. On July 28th, before the trade deadline, the Mets were 54-46 and 46 and were four games up in the East. Since then, they've gone 9-21... and 21, they're seven and a half back. I mean, good lord. The the Mets, like I said, it's the flaming dumpster fire floating down the river. It's it's not good, man. This is a team that all year has not been able to hit. Consistently, they have been one of the worst offensive teams, and it showed. Their their run differential, Joe, is. Only at negative 28 because they've been playing joke teams and they had that huge run outburst on Sunday. But well, they're still, they're one of the worst teams scoring runs in the National League. They were much better earlier in the year when they were a mixed match of, of bench players than they have been since everybody came back. Um, I, but again, they've been bottom five in the National League the entire year, I think, in most offensive categories. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and, I, you know, Lindor is one of those guys, like, we're paying you. I mean, this is year one. We've got another, what, what was it, nine or 12 years left? Uh, nine, I think, yeah. yeah. Another nine years left. So, you know, Lindor, you can be pissed off at, at, at the Met fan base, but it's time to sh- put up or shut up. You got this contract because you're going to be the shortstop of the future for this club. It's time to put up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the the surprising one of this was Pilar because, I mean, Pilar is such a gamer. I mean, here's a guy who came within inches of probably never playing again Mm -hmm. and rushed back, and then he gets caught up in this nonsense with Lindor and Baez. And again... Like you said, Baez is hitting 207, 258, 414 with three homers and five RBIs since he came to the Mets. 
That's a joke. I got news for you. He was doing just as bad in Chicago. That's also true. Well, and think about like, this. You're barely hitting around the Mendoza line, and you want to give a thumbs down to the fan base? How about giving a thumbs down to your hitting performance, you jackass? And think about this. Not only is Bias woefully badly underperforming, they lost time when he got hurt, and then they gave up one of their top prospects, Pete Crow Armstrong, who's now the number fifth ranked prospect in the Cubs' top 30. So not only are you paying for a guy who is literally turning into poison in your clubhouse, but you gave up one of your best outfield prospects to do it. Cubs front office, bravo, well done. Yeah, I just I don't understand some of these 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 players now. It's just like again, and Lindor's the same as Bias. Lindor was a was a was a folk hero and a, and a superstar in Cleveland, mm-hmm. New York. If they don't like you, they're gonna let you know about it. Yeah, regardless of how well you played for a week. And here's the thing too: as bad as New York fans are, Philadelphia fans are just as brutal and you don't see the Phillies players thumbs downing their fan base you don't see Bryce Harper doing that crap you don't see JT Real Muto doing that you don't even see Alec Baum booing the fans when he finally makes a catch at third base which has only happened like four or five times this year or when he finally touches home plate (laughs) that won't happen (laughs) until he's traded I I mean I, I just don't understand this I mean but Pete, Pete Alonzo will, will try to, you know, pump up and say they're going to work on it. And people are like, Pete, like, like, get with the program. You know, and then these guys do it, and some fans are okay with it. And some of them are like, like, you're, you're hitting 200. Yeah. Stop. Yeah, if you're hitting 200, back the hell off. You don't have the right to complain about the fans doing anything to you. Because it's not the fans' hobby, it's you. And honestly, if Rojas doesn't have the cojones to step up and get control of this clubhouse, Pete Alonso needs to step up and be the leader of that clubhouse and tell those guys to knock it the hell off. Yeah, I just don't know if he's willing enough to do it. Yeah, agreed. I haven't really seen that leadership quality from... From Alonzo. Right, and granted, we're not in the clubhouse after the game. We don't know how he is with the team, but still, that's that's so unbelievably unacceptable. It's not even funny. Yeah, I just I don't I don't get it. I really don't. Um, you know, Lindor is only hitting two twenty four, which isn't bad, but it's not it's good. Either. Not good. Um, that's, you that's know, 11 good. homers, 38 RBIs, 10 steals. Granted, he was out, but still, like, yeah, that's come uh, on, guys. That's terrible. All right, and then we had some really, really sharp retro uniforms on Friday. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates wore Homestead gray uniforms. These were cream and navy jerseys with uh, navy hats and the white style G on them. I thought they were uh, really sharp-looking uniforms. Uh, UniWatch had them up earlier this week, which is where I found the picture of it. Uh, I I love, Joe, that more and more of these MLB teams are embracing the old Negro League teams and wearing their jerseys as throwbacks. 
I think it looks so cool on the field for one. And then remember that game we had earlier this year where they had where it what it was the uh, Giants and oh who were the Giants playing anyway? You had two teams both wearing the Negro League uniforms. I thought that was one of the coolest looking, uh, one of the coolest looking visual games to see. What do you think of all of those? No, that, it's it's like like you said, it's nice that there there's some some nods to history with some of these uniforms and and making people more aware of some of that baseball history. I think is really nice. Yeah, the only I will say the only complaint I had from the Yankee from the Nike jerseys, uh, Joe. This is a picture of the traditional jerseys where the A was centered right in between the uh, wishbone piping coming down the center mm-hmm. of the jersey. And the ones that they had, they made the, the grays font a little smaller, so the A got bumped a little bit into the piping. That was the only major complaint I had, though. It was all in all a really, really solid set. And again, the damn swoosh. But, right, you know, right. I, I, I feel like, I feel like you, you've got to find a way to put your brand on there and not be obnoxious about it. Like, put it, put it behind their neck. Put it or on the put sleeve. Or put it on the sleeve. That's where it was oh. for decades when Majestic had the contract. It was on the sleeve. Yeah, there's no reason for the Nike swoosh to be on the front of the logo. And this is not just an MLB problem. This is a college problem. This is a pro problem. It's annoying. Stop well, doing it. Well, and what really drives me nuts, especially as the NFL teams are moving away from having the TV numbers on their shoulders, put it there. Put it on the shoulders. That's a, you have a whole open spot now if there are no numbers there. So put it there and let the front of the jersey represent the team. Because that's what it should be about. It should be about the teams and the players, not about who made the jerseys. And I think sp- particularly when they do these historical jerseys, that's what you have to find a way to not make it about Nike. We know it's Nike. Right. Pay the tribute where you're trying to pay the tribute and get the thing swooshed off the side somewhere. Yeah. Where it's really jarring is the really, really sharp classic jerseys. The Yankee pinstripes, St. Louis Cardinals, that clean white, and it's interrupted by the swoosh. I know I've ranted about it a lot, and every time we're going to have new uniforms, I'm going to rant about it again probably. I I just really wish Yankee, the Yankees, I really wish Nike would respect the tradition of those teams and not leave it in the center. Right. I, I don't have a problem with it being on the uniform. I think the historical uniforms is the one that I have the most issue with because you're trying to pay an homage to an older team or to a different league back well, let's face it, in history. Nike didn't and exist then, in the 1930s anyway. Right. I don't, I don't have nearly as much of a, a passionate Nike feeling as you do. I don't have nearly as much of an analytical... Uh, view of the jerseys as you do but I, I i can appreciate that and i think yeah just on these classic jerseys these you know where you're trying to pay again homage to a to a, an era leave it off of there and i'm not even anti-nike products i actually like nike shoes they fit my feet better than most of the major shoe brands so i wear nike stuff a lot but it it just drives me nuts that's that's where I'll leave it for tonight. <laughs> for tonight, until the next jersey reveal, in which place I'll complain about it again. All right, so we had talked last week about um, Caleb Smith, the reliever from the Diamondbacks. 
he was um, the, the umpire pulled him off to check his glove, and then they eventually had, um, ejected him from the game because they felt he had a foreign substance or something in his glove, and they sent it to New York to be tested. I said last week I didn't think it was really going to come to anything because I figured it was probably just rosin because it's the summer. The pitchers are rosin the heck out of their hands because they're sweating so much to try and get a good grip on the ball. Well, it turns out MLB didn't agree with me. I'm, I'm ass- they ended up suspending him 10 games under the um, uh, sticky substances policy. So my guess, Joe, is they found something besides rosin and dirt in there, like you said. Maybe they found a little bit of pine tar or something in there. So uh, Caleb Smith is suspended for 10 games. And the, the kicker here with this, Joe, is the Diamondbacks are not allowed to replace him on the active roster for this particular suspension. Yeah, to me, that's the way that they're they're really trying to be too uh, so aggressive on this stuff is they're making it, well, if you get busted, now your entire team is screwed Yeah, for the time that you're out. Which, I, I, do I necessarily agree with that? Probably not. Maybe they found something else, or maybe they just said, look, you had entirely too much rosin and dirt on this glove. Maybe it was too much. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? But MLB I don't is... know that they should be really getting into too much of this, honestly. Yeah, I mean, MLB is so well known for their transparency and their decisions. So um... They're about as transparent as the NCAA is. <laughs> eh, yeah, ain't that the truth? All right, so my hot hitters from the week, I had Salvador Perez of the Royals. He went 357, 455, and even one slugging. Ten hits, six home runs, six runs, scored 14 RBIs, five walks, five strikeouts. I also had Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals, 462, 483, 808. Twelve hits, three doubles, two home runs, seven runs, scored 10 RBIs, two stolen bases, two walks, one strikeout. Jose Ramirez of Cleveland of the 381, 507, 14. Eight hits, a double, two home runs, six runs scored, five RBIs, three stolen bases, five walks, three strikeouts. Patrick Wisdom of the Cubs, he had a 286, 400, even one line. Six hits, five home runs, eight runs scored, 10 RBIs, two walks, six strikeouts. And Aaron Judge of the Yankees, who went 480, 840. Twelve hits, three doubles, two home runs, five runs, seven RBIs, one stolen base, one walk, five strikeouts. All right, Joe, who else did you have? Sosa from St. Louis, I forget his first name, but 533-650-1067. A double, two triples, a home run, seven RBIs, only four strikeouts. Hmm. And uh, Bryce Harper, 476-538-1000, slugging. Five doubles, two homers, seven RBIs, five strikeouts, and four walks. So not only was he driving in runs, you know, again, the five doubles, the two home runs, but he's seen the ball really well in those four walks, too. So Yeah. Well, Harper's always been that. He, he's not a guy who's going to strike out 150, 200 times a year. He has a really good eye, although that said, you can catch him on the inside corner. But everybody's got a hole in your swing, except for Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn did not have a hole in his swing. He just put holes in pitchers. All right, my hot pitchers. I had Dylan Cease, the White Sox, 2-0, and 13 in the third innings, 8 hits, 2 earned runs, 3 walks, 18 strikeouts, 2 home runs, a 135 ERA, a .85 whip. I had Antonio Sant, uh, Senzatella, sorry. He went 1-0, and 13 in the third inning, 7 hits, 1 earned run, 3 walks, 11 strikeouts. He did not allow any home runs. A .69, very nice ERA, and a .77 whip. 
Max Scherzer, 1-0, and 8 and 2 thirds. Two hits, no runs, one walk, 10 strikeouts. It's a .39 whip. Joe Musgrove of the Padres, 1-0, and 9 innings, three hits, no earned runs, two walks, nine strikeouts, .56 whip. And Nathan Eovaldi of Boston, he did not have any decisions this week, but he went 12 innings, 10 hits, only two earned runs, no walks, 14 strikeouts, one home run allowed, a 1.46 ERA, and a .81 whip. Of course, you had to pick two pitchers that had their better starts against the Cubs. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, I mean, cease it didn't really matter. I mean, that was such, oh no, that was a slam dunk. Yeah, that was the slam dunk. But yeah, sends a tell. Yeah, okay, sorry about that. <laughs> I had three. I had Blake Snell, seven and two thirds, three hits, one run, ten strikeouts, point three nine WHIP, one twenty batting average against. Uh, Tyler Mayo from the Reds, 12.2 innings, 9 hits, 3 runs, 14 strikeouts, .95 whip, 214 batting average against. And Kelly Jansen, I went with a closer with this one. Mm, interesting. Uh, 2 for 2 in save opportunities, 4 innings pitched, 1 hit, no runs, 1 walk, 5 strikeouts, .50 whip, and a .077 batting average against. Yeah, I can't argue with that. It's hard to put the closers on there. Because they just don't get a lot of innings of work in. So it's, you know, it's harder to try and justify putting one of them in. But, yeah, that was a fantastic week. Um, and for Jason, I almost put him in, uh, but Eovaldi's numbers were a little better. I did want to mention Ranger Suarez. He went 1-0 in the week. He pitched 12 innings. He gave up 11 hits, 3 walks, 2 earned runs, 12 strikeouts, and he went 1-0 this past week. He had a 1.5 ERA and a 1.17 whip, so he also had a good week as well. Yeah, I just it's nice to be able to. Um, I think what I'm going to probably start doing is highlighting at least one bullpen guy every week now. Yeah, that's uh, a good we, idea. We don't give them enough enough love for what they do, Joe, especially I'll, this time of the year. I'll put you in charge of the bullpen guy every week. Okay. All right, my hot teams in the past week: I had the Braves, the Reds, the Giants, the Dodgers, the Rockies, the Yankees, the Rays, the Royals, and the Astros. All right, go ahead and rip me for what Jason said. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, the Braves went two and three, or three and two and three, two and was, three on the week. So the Braves had a weird they were, week. It they was weren't a hot team. Week. They weren't a hot team this week. The same with the Reds. The Reds won two games this week. The only reason they looked good is because the Padres won one. <laughs> and the Reds I, overtook the Padres the in Red, the wild card standings. The, the Reds were a bit of a push. Yeah, I, I, I was, I, I was kind of clinging straws because the a NL, bit of a push. The, the, the NL Central, dude, the NL Central gave me nothing this week as they have so many weeks since the Cubs tumbled. You don't have to pick an NL Central team if the division is garbage. <laughs> That's true. You don't even, even have to pick an NL East team because the division is garbage. But even the Brewers were trash this past week. So here, here's the thing with the Braves. Here, here's why I left them in. I understand the week was under 500, but again, it was a five game. It was one of those stupid five game weeks, and they actually had two days off in a row, which is just, that's weird and stupid. I can't stand it when MLB does that. So yes, they got swept by the Yankees. They almost won that second game before getting hosed by the umpires multiple times. And the other thing was, they took on the team with the best damn record in the major leagues this year and took two out of three convincingly, including a shutout. Yeah, I know. Those two Jason's, wins are great. Jason but... calls it a total homer pick, and sure, there's a little homer pick in that too. But 
Come on, they took on the best team in baseball and took two out of three. Yeah, it's 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 okay. They took two out of three. That was good for them. But again, you can blame Mumps all you want for that Yankee series. I will. You didn't, you didn't take advantage of the opportunities you had. No, I do agree with that. They they didn't do as well during the Yankee series as they should have. It should be a five and a half game lead over the Phillies right now instead of a four and a half game. That said, considering the teams they played last week, that it's still four and a half, and the fact that the Phillies played the freaking Diamondbacks for four games, I'm extremely happy with those results. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I I, I get it, I do. <laughs> I knew Jason was going to be upset before he even sent the notes earlier today. I knew he was going to be upset with that pick. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm not so sure about that one, bud. <laughs> uh, the, okay, the Yankees and the Rays continue to be the hottest teams. I think the Yankees going into last week were like 24 and 8 since yeah, the trade deadline. It was insane. They've been on utter fire. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or since the All Star break, one of those two things, they were twenty four and eight in in a game in that month of, of games. It was insane. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Dodgers are continuing to find ways to win. The Giants, you know, Gabe Kapler has not fallen off yet, and maybe he won't. Yeah, I, I'm really really curious and excited to see what happens in September this year because. We've never seen Gabe Kapler be able to extend a team for an entire season. This is what the Phillies fans were dreaming of when he was hired for Philadelphia. Of course, they also said the same thing about Terry Francona, and then Terry Francona went on to win a World Series with Boston. So, (laughs) is Kapler going to be the next former Phillies manager to go on and win a World Series somewhere else? Maybe. Maybe. Although, I think the Dodgers are going to be a really hard out in the playoff this year. They're... They're pitching, man. That's that's murderous row. There is no break anywhere in that bullpen or that starting rotation. I mean, you have Kershaw, Urias, Bueller, Scherzer. And Kershaw hasn't even been over the top this year. No. You have them, you have Kalen Jansen from the bullpen. Mm-hmm. You know, Trey Turner has been phenomenal for them since he came over. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's they're well, easily you know that's a that's a two horse race for that division in the West. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know everybody's fan favorite Joe Kelly for uh, mocking the Astros last year during the quor- during the quarantine COVID shortened season. I, I I thoroughly enjoyed that. Not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. everyone so looking at the week ahead Atlanta is on a road trip now they start with three in LA with the Dodgers you have Smiley versus Urias Morton versus Bueller and Freed versus Scherzer Atlanta is going to be going through the teeth of that Dodgers rotation and then they go to Colorado for four at the Rockies and it's Yanoa versus Gray Anderson versus uh, Senzatella Smiley versus Marquez and Morton versus Gomber so this is going to be the start of the make-it-or-break-it part of the schedule for Atlanta as the difficulty gets much heavier very quickly. So, I, Joe, I'm... 
Yeah, this was a hard week to pick because honestly, with the Dodgers, I feel like they could take two at three, but playing out in LA and we know how East Coast is on the West Coast and West Coast teams are on the East Coast, I have a really hard time picking two and three. I actually picked one and two for that series. Mm-hmm. I did as well. And the Rockies series is a really hard one to pick too. You'd think this would be an easy series, Joe, but here's the thing. Coming into games tonight, the Rockies have one of the best home records in all of baseball. The best home record belongs to the White Sox at 44-24. and 24. And then right behind them, you have the Dodgers at 43-23, and 23, the Giants at 42-19, and 19, and then the Rockies at, are also at 43-22. and 22. Yeah. Of course, they're 17-48 and 48 on the road, hence why they are 16-70 overall. I, that's that's a horrible home road swap. So I, I do think Atlanta, I believe I picked that they were going to go 2-2 two and two or 3-1 and one in the series. 3-1. and one. Okay. And I, I, I do believe they've got the bats to do it. But I've got, I got to tell you, that, that Rockies series honestly looks like, looks like a trap series to me. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see how they respond after the Dodgers series. We're not sure how that one's going to go, but... Um, you know, assuming it goes the way we predicted that one and two, this is going to be one of those you either bounce back or you continue to continue the the slow decline uh, into the weekend. And and unfortunately, with the Phillies having a far easier week this week, which we'll get to them in a second, uh, if Atlanta really falls off this week, you could see the lead in the NLEs change by the time we record next week. Yeah, you you very easily could, and so it'll be. Again, this is kind of one of those weeks for Atlanta where um, we'll see just just what they're made of and what they can do. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is kind of one of those uh, that Dodger series is a big test series, I think, for them. They've had offense to Matt to replace, not that you can replace Acuna, but to replace his production. Um, but can they have that in a series with this kind of caliber team? I don't know. Yeah, that that's and this is a good litmus test for where they're at and what we can expect if they would make the playoffs too. So absolutely, we're going to learn a lot this week. The Cubbies this week they've got two on the road at the Twins. You've got Davies versus Gant and Steele versus an unannounced starter, and then four at home versus the cellar dwelling Pirates. Thompson versus an unannounced, Mills versus Brault, Hendricks versus Crow, and Davies versus Wilson. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested to see. Uh, again, I think I'm not too concerned about that rough start from uh, Jason Steele last week. I, I'm still pretty high on what he's going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really interested to see what uh, Keegan Thompson can do against the Pirates, against a team that you should handle fairly well. Um, I'm interested to see if they're able to do that with him and he's able to get some production and some uh, quality pitches in and some quality innings in. Davies, Davies is going to Davies. We're going to get a crappy start and a good start probably this week mm-hmm. uh, from him. Mills in that Pirates series, I think that's that should be a lock. And Hendricks versus Crow, can Hendricks kind of, you know, he has one or two good starts and he has a bad one. So, I think he'll have a good start in this one. Yeah, I think Hendricks is going to bounce back this week. I'm not going to be surprised if he does at all. Here's the thing with the Pirates, Joe. They're they're not a good team this year at all. 
They're a really, really horrifically bad road team this year. They're 20 and 45. Mm -hmm. So you guys need to take advantage of that and at least split the Pirates. Although, I, truthfully, Joe, as long as your bats even show up minimally because the Pirates have uh, given up actually the same number of runs you guys have given up this year, 668. Uh, you know, if your bats even show up minimally, I think you're going to be fine because while you've each given up a lot of runs, you've also scored a little bit under 100 more runs than the Pirates have on the season as a whole. So. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, the Cubs are currently eight and a half above Pittsburgh for that seller spot, so hopefully that uh, stays the way it does. Yeah, I hope it does because I picked the Cubs to play well in this series. <laughs> so um, I, I think the Pittsburgh series will be a good one for them. It'll be at home. Yeah. Um, you know, I think playing the Twins after playing the White Sox, I think that'll be at least a little bit of a – Reprieve uh, from yeah. that schedule they had. So yeah, after that White Sox series, you're due for two cellar dwelling teams to have a chance to pick yourself back up and get some confidence back, especially for those younger guys. Yeah, absolutely. The Phillies this week they've got three. They're on the road all week. Three at the Nationals, three at the Marlins. The Nationals series: Wheeler versus Gray, Moore versus Corbin, Nola versus Espino. With the Marlins, uh, Gibson versus Lazardo, Suarez versus an unannounced starter, and Wheeler versus Cabrera. They somehow missed Alcantara. Doggone it. <laughs> At least so far. Um, to me, and, and Jason kind of reiterated this in our notes tonight, they, they really should or really need to go 4-2 and two this week, particularly if the Braves are going to have the rough week that we think they might have. Um, you know, Wheeler needs to get two good starts. Suarez needs to have another good start. Gibson has been has been phenomenal for them. Yeah, Gibson just needs to keep doing what he's so, doing. Uh, Matt Moore's the outlier, so that's kind of I think makes that that Nat series easier easy to go two one on because Matt Moore is Matt Moore. Yeah, I I, I think we've seen the best of Matt Moore that we're going to see. I think he's probably going to keep regressing back down to what he was. Mm-hmm. Um, that Marlin series. I, the Marlins are so, I hate trying to predict series of the Marlins because the Marlins will randomly wake up and become world beaters, and they are playing at home in front of 48.5 fans. So, you know, I the Phillies should take two or three in both of these series. They should, and Jason's right. They need to. We talked about this last week with Jason, and the thing that's starting to separate the Braves and the Phillies is the Braves are taking care of business against the bad teams, and the Phillies weren't. Look at look at the uh, sweep in Arizona a few weeks ago. I mean, for the year, Arizona took the series from the Phillies 4-3. to three. That's nuts. Yeah, as bad as Arizona is, there is no reason at all that the Phillies should have gone 3-4 and four against the Diamondbacks this year. Absolutely not. So, yeah, th- this is a big, 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 big week for both the Braves and the Phillies. Other series that I'm looking forward to this week in the first half of the week, I'm looking at I'm looking at Red Sox Rays and Brewers Giants, and then I'm also looking in the second half of the week at Dodgers Giants and Astros Padres. Um, I want to see how these top teams are doing, and I God, there's a lot of good baseball this week, man. This is a really, really, really good week to, you know, I'm going to be I. Not going to lie, 
I'm just going to be keeping a passing interest on these other series. But if I wasn't so enamored with Atlanta's stuff this week, these are some really fantastic series to watch. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What else are you looking at this week? That Red Sox race series stands out. I think the Yankees and Angels, I think we need to see, Mm -hmm. can the Yankees gain that separation they need to in the AL wild card? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, to me, they're, they're the team that, if they can continue the run that they're on, who knows what they'll do. Yeah. Yeah, the Yankees are so hard to predict this year, and they have an almost identical home home road record, uh, 41 and, I'm sorry, it's Tampa, 39 and 25 at home, 37 and 29 on the road. That's that's really, really close. And I think the other series that I'm going to watch, I'm going to be tuning in a little bit to see how the Mets do. Uh, they've got the Marlins in the first half of the week and the Nats in the second half of the week, so they've got the flip-flop schedule of Philly. With Philly, okay. Um, I, you know, either this this nonsense controversy is going to destroy your ball club or it's going to motivate your guys. It's going to do one or the other. Yeah, we're going to have to see what happens to the Mets. I mean, that's... You know, it's like we said in the last section. I Can you ever remember a team falling apart like this this early with this much controversy surrounding them with as large preseason expectations as they had well I mean the, the preseason expectations were with a healthy Jacob DeGrom yeah that's true you know and the hope of getting Noah back in August early September which seems unlikely at this point um, you know, maybe they'll get him back, Noah back for, in the bullpen for a little bit at the end of the year. I don't know. I mean, the COVID IL is 10 days, so you're looking at first, second week in September, and he was only doing rehab starts now. I will be surprised if they rush him back. I feel like it's not worth it. Right. I mean, I think the other – I mean, the last time we saw them do this where they just kind of dove off, I can't remember how many years it was now, but they were up seven games at the beginning of September, weren't they? Yeah, that was... Yeah. And they just complete nosedive. I don't remember what year that was. Yeah, you're right. They Um, they had a horrible September. Wasn't that Philly took them over in the division that year? That, yeah, that might have been... Was that the year the Phillies won the World Series, or was that the year afterwards when they lost the World Series to the Yankees? I don't remember for sure, but... But One of those right. years, the, the Mets were up seven at the start of September and blew it. So they just happened to blow it a little earlier this year. <laughs> um, the, the, the real frustrating thing, if you're a Mets fan, is how many lineups they've had. We've talked about that before. You know, the, the expectations were so high because you were going to have a healthy Francisco Lindor. Pete Alonso coming off of a decent year last year. You know, and, and now back-to-back home run derby champion. Um, you know, you wonder what you're going to get out of Jeff McNeil on a daily basis. You wonder what you're going to get out of Michael Conforto on a daily basis if you're a Met fan. You know, there's some consistencies that they were hoping for that they just aren't getting. And then DeGrom being out for as long as he's been out. It, mm-hmm. it's That's a recipe for disaster. You had high expectations, but you also had high expectations with quality pieces that aren't producing or have been out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that, that sums up quite nicely. Um, I think Jason, the series he said he was most looking forward to keeping an eye on was Dodgers-Giants. And, I, you know, 
for us over here in the East Coast, where we know we're not going to be pushing for the top, we're not we're not pushing for the top seed. You know, we're going to be probably facing the winner of the wild card series, or uh, no, we'll be facing the uh, Brewers in the Central. Um, that Dodgers Giant series is huge. Oh, absolutely. Are you going to be sitting in the top seed waiting for who survives the bloodbath in the wild card round? Or are you going to be stuck in the bloodbath fighting your way through? Yeah, I mean, so far the Giants have been able to hold on to that. So, yeah. you know, if, if they continue to do what they've been doing, you know, be, being on our hot team list pretty much week after week, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting quality performances out of their their bats I think locking Brandon Crawford in has been huge for the Giants agreed it's huge for their momentum getting a piece like Chris Bryant was huge for the Giants mm-hmm. um, again much to my chagrin and I have my feelings about KB but uh, that was huge for them um, you know he, he's been pretty productive for them he's been playing all over the place um, I, I will say that I think when when the Cubs got rid of all these guys, they got them into situations where they had a chance to win. Agreed, I agree. And it's for the record at this point, Joe, going into games tonight, it's only a two and a half game lead between the Giants and the Dodgers, so that the division really is completely up for grabs. The San Diego's really fallen; they're down to fifteen and a half out of the division right now, and uh, two and a half out in the wild card. Yeah, right now it's with Dodgers Reds. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. So yeah, it's 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 going to be a tight race to the end. All right, let's pull up the old pick'em chart here and see how badly I did last week. So last week the uh, I predicted that the Braves have a phenomenal week at four and one, two and zero, oh, two and one. That clearly did not happen. Jason predicted a three and two, one and one, two and one week. Joe, you predicted a two and three, one and one, one and two week. So, Joe, you picked up a point because you got the week record right, and Jason and I picked up a half a point for guessing the uh, Giants series correctly. In the Cubs last week, uh, you and I both guessed that they would go 2-4, and 2-1, and 0-3, oh and, and Jason guessed, unfortunately, a perfect week going 3-3, 2-1, and 1-2. And one, one and Thanks a lot, Cubs. Thanks a lot for that. Not like we were trying to catch Jason or anything. Uh, for the Phillies last week, I had guessed that they would go four and two, one and one, three and one. Jason guessed three and three, one and one, two and two. And Joe, you were really, really big in on the Phillies last week at five and one, one and one, four and zero. Oh. Well, the Phillies, as the Phillies often do, decided to say, "No, we're not going to do any of that." They went three and three, zero oh and two, three and one. So I picked up a half a point, and Jason picked up a whole point for guessing the weekly record right. And uh, Joe, you got shut out of that one. And then Anaheim this past weekend. I do have to say, I think Jason would have been pretty happy if I was right about that. I, I, I think Jason would be happy to give up picking for the rest of the year to make you right about that last week. Um, Anaheim was our mystery team last week. I guess they would go big and go 4-1, uh, 3-0, 1-1. And one, and one. Jason guessed 3-2, and 2-1, two, 1-1. Two and one, one and one. Joe, you would said the same. They actually went 2-3, and three, losing the series to the Orioles, 1-2. And, and then they went 1-1 uh, one one in the week in that odd Sunday off two-game miniseries of the Padres. I still don't understand that. So we all picked up a half a point there in the miniseries that we all predicted correctly. So the standings right now, Joe, 
Jason is still unfortunately in the lead at 36 and a half points. You are in second at 32 and a half, and I'm right behind you at 31 and a half. I need to start getting better picks because, man, I am getting crushed right now. <laughs> They're not working out for me at all. Uh, Jason, good job, bud. You are still holding a pretty good lead as we head into the uh, final month of the season. I think we only have five weeks of pick'em left. So, uh, you know, a couple perfect weeks, and there could really throw things on head. But, unfortunately, Jason is uh, he's where he wants to be right now. All right, guys, you can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spreaker. Follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash dollardogsandbeer and on our Twitter page at dollardogsandbeer. You can find us on Twitter, Andrew's at pyrolord314, Jason's at J-R-I-E-K-E-R 300, and Joe is at joltonjoe35. We are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast, LLC. May your dogs always cost a dollar and may your beer always be cold. Have a good night, everybody.